letter to the Thessalonians. First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians. In a few weeks, we will return to our practice of continuing on Sunday evenings, the study of the Sunday morning. Uh, that is, we'll be in Romans, both in the morning service and the evening service. When we get to Genesis, we'll be in Genesis in the morning service and the evening service. But before I left these sermons uh, called The Bible and, uh, just an opportunity for me to address a few topical subjects and what the Bible says about them. Uh, before we leave that series, there was one more subject that I did want to address, and I want to do it tonight and uh, next Sunday evening as well. Um, if there's any subject uh, that I, as a pastor, ought to intentionally bring before you again and again and again, it ought to be this subject, namely the subject of love, of Christian love. So turn to First Thessalonians 2. Um, while you are turning there, consider this question. Do you desire to be a more loving person? To which everyone says, of course I do. So maybe let me ask it this way. How deeply do you desire to be a more loving person? Is this a constant theme in your prayer life? Is this something that is often in your own mind? Something that is often in your own heart? How often do you find yourself confessing to God your lovelessness and asking for God's help to make you a more loving person? I get the sense that we do not value love the way we ought I get the sense that I do not value love the way I ought. This is the grace that we are to pursue above all others. In our pursuit of godliness, in our pursuit of Christ-likeness, this is the attribute of God that we should want for ourselves above all other attributes. Why do I say that? I say that because of verses like these. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Who in here wants to be a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal? Or it gets even stronger. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Is it not amazing to hear the Apostle Paul say that even if we have all faith, 100% pure heart of trust in God, enough faith to move mountains, but we don't have love, we are nothing. Even if we have all knowledge, we understand our Bibles forward and backwards, we're able maybe to speak the whole Bible from memory. 
and we do not have love, we are nothing. Consider this verse. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Church, faith is huge. Faith is is huge. You cannot have love without faith. There's an intimate connection between faith and love. In order for you to love, you must yourself be filled with love. You cannot give what you don't have. So if your cup is empty of love, you have nothing to pour out onto others. It is by faith that we turn to Christ every day. Trust Him. Believe what His Word says about, him, says about us and live in light of His love for us. Faith brings the love of Christ to our souls so that we can swim in it, so that we can find our joy in it, so that we can have our peace in it. And it is only when by faith in Christ we are living in His love, only then will we be able to love others. So faith is huge. You must have faith. But faith is not the be-all, end-all. The whole point of faith is to bring us to love. The whole purpose of God causing us to trust Him is so that we will know His love. And so that His love in us will redound back to Him in love for Him and in love for those created in His image and particularly His children. Let me say this again very carefully. The whole purpose of God causing us to trust Him is so that we will know His love and so that His love will redound in us back to Himself and to all who bear His image, especially His children. So if you have a kind of faith that does not show itself in love, you have a kind of faith that is worthless. Faith is important, but a faith that does not produce love is not true, saving, God-honoring faith. Hope. Hope is huge. You cannot sustain love without hope, right? Because love is hard work. Loving other people is hard work, and it takes something out of us. Even loving God. We love God, but we love a God we cannot see. We love our Savior, but we don't see our Savior. He's with us by His Spirit, but He's not with us in a way that we can see Him and and touch Him. And so here we are trying to love Christ, and yet there's a million other things that we can see. A million other things that we can touch that tempt our soul to love them more than Christ. And loving other people is tough. Loving other people brings heartache. Loving other people brings misery sometimes. Sometimes loving others means sacrificing so much that we come to the point that we don't know if we can even keep on going this way. Loving other people can drain us physically. Loving other people can drain us emotionally. Loving other people can drain us spiritually. What is it that will help us to continue in love? It's hope. 
It's having an eager expectation that the difficulties of this life are temporary. There is coming a day when I will see my Lord Jesus Christ. There is coming a day when I will look upon Him with my own eyes. And there is coming a day when, when I will be able to love others And that love will not bring me pain. That love will not bring me misery. In heaven, everyone will be pure and holy and perfect. And so hope looks to that day and finds strength from that day to keep loving others right now. I can go the extra mile. I can do the hard thing. I can love the difficult person. I can perform the necessary sacrifice because I know that day is coming. So hope is huge. We need to pursue hope. But hope is not the be-all, end-all. The whole point of hope is to sustain our love for God and our love for others. The whole point, church, of everything that God is doing in you and that God is doing for you and that God is doing through you, it all comes back to this theme of love. Indeed, the whole purpose of salvation is for God to bring you into His love so that you will have an eternal relationship with Him in which you and He and all His people live in happy, Christ-exalting love forever and ever. So if you have a kind of hope that is not helping you love, that hope is worthless. There is a temptation in us to devalue love and to exalt other things into its place. I mentioned last week of the numerous accounts that have come to my attention in recent days of local churches that right now are going through tough seasons. Churches that are in disarray, churches where there is conflict and division, bitterness and hostility, churches where church members are playing politics in order to have their opinions triumph, brothers and sisters in Christ speaking ill of one another, and Christ is being dishonored. Mount Hermon, when we hear of other churches that are experiencing those kinds of troubles, we ought to be brokenhearted. We ought to resolve in our hearts to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are experiencing these things and to pray for Christ's mercy to come upon them. But at the same time, every time we hear of of another local church that is in disarray, it ought to serve as a fresh warning to us. It ought to remind us of just how much our God values love among His people. We need to remember, even when there is division over things that really matter a lot, love really matters a lot to God. We must never allow ourselves to relate to one another in any way that is not saturated with love. Hugh Benning says this, There is a greater importance and weight of Christianity in love than in the most part of those things for which Christians bite and devour one another. It is the fundamental law of the gospel to which all other positive precepts and ordinances should stoop. 
Unity in judgment is very needful for the well-being of Christians. But Christ's last words persuade us that unity in affection is even more essential and fundamental. This is the badge He left to His disciples. If we cast away love upon every different opinion, we disown our Master and we disclaim the token and badge of His grace. Jesus looked at His disciples. And we can imagine Him at this moment looking at us. And Jesus says, This is My commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. I am so thankful for the love that I believe is present here in our church family. But oh, how dim our love is compared to the love of Christ. How much brighter our love could shine. And Mount Hermon, we know that tests are coming. We know that trials are coming our way as a church family. And we know this because we live in a sinful world and we're sinful people. And so while we're in this gracious season of peace and unity, we need to to work extra hard to dive deep into the truth of God where His love is proclaimed to us. And we ought to work extra hard to grab a hold of that love that He has for us by faith and to trust in it and to rest in it and then to begin cultivating in our own souls and cultivating in our relationships love for one another, a kind of love that will not easily break. The kind of deep love for one another that says, though you kill me, I will still love you. I know that's a long introduction, but I wanted you to see why I wanted us to preach on this. Look at uh, beginning in verse 17 of chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17. We're going to read through the end of chapter 3. This is Paul speaking to the church in Thessalonica. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at His coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith, and love, and reported that you, that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, 
In all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father, the coming of our Lord Jesus with all His saints. Now obviously there's a lot that we could focus on in these verses. Um, We could hone in on verse 18 of chapter 2 and discuss how Satan sought to destroy this young church by working to keep the Apostle Paul away. Satan knew this was a young, fragile church in need of spiritual leadership, and it was his design to keep Paul away so that they would not mature but fall away from Christ. Paul was so concerned that Satan might accomplish this purpose that he says in chapter 3, verse 5, For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Praise God, God kept His people safe. And as He promised, not one of them was taken from His hand. Timothy goes, he he spends time with the Thessalonians, and then he comes back and he brings to Paul a very happy report. They're doing okay. They're doing okay. You could also hone in on chapter 3, verses 3 and 4 where Paul reminds the Thessalonians that affliction has been promised to Christians, that suffering and persecution is a part of our lot on this earth. We could focus on those last three verses. And the way the Father, by the Son, through the Spirit, causes God's people to become holy so that they will stand blameless before Christ on the day He returns, the day of judgment. Those are all worthy truths that we could spend time on. But as important as those things are, I want to get to what I think is deeper. Something that that I want to get to the heart of what I think Paul is genuinely and truly communicating here. I think if you read this passage carefully, it's pretty evident there's something else going on. Apparently, the Thessalonians were being tempted to believe that they had been deserted. Paul. Silas, Timothy, they had come to their city. They had preached the gospel. People had been converted to the Lord Jesus. Lives were being radically altered forever. But there was resistance in the city. Listen to what happened from Acts 17 when Paul, Silas, and Timothy came to Thessalonica. But the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob. They set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them, that is Paul and Silas, out to the crowd. When they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of his brothers before the city authorities, shouting, 
These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar. They say there's another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. And the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. So the departure of Paul and Timothy and Silas from Thessalonica was not a planned one. It was a very sudden one. They had planned to be there longer. There was still more teaching to be done. Men and women had been converted to Christ. They were now brand new babes in Christ. There there was not a group of, of mature leaders because this whole church was brand new. The gospel had just come to this city. And all of a sudden, these men who came with the gospel are gone. And these babes in Christ are left without any spiritual leadership to tell them, now what does it mean to follow this Christ? These men who had played such an important role in the lives of these new believers are gone just as quickly as they came. And so now some time has passed. And it seems that the Thessalonians were beginning to wonder, could it be that Paul and Silas and Timothy have forgotten about us? Could it be that that we've been forsaken by these men? You can imagine the esteem and the gratitude that these Thessalonian Christians might have had for these men. Many of us have such gratitude and esteem for those who first shared the gospel with us. For those that God used to have such an important role in our lives that they were used by God in the work of changing our hearts. So these Thessalonian Christians probably had great esteem for Paul and Timothy and Silas. Their hearts were attached to these men. And yet, where were they? And why are we not hearing from them? Does Paul not care about us? Well, in these verses, Paul is informing the Thessalonian Christians of what has occurred since he left them. But it's interesting that when you read carefully, he tells less about what's been happening outwardly, and he tells more about what's been happening inwardly in his heart since he's been gone. He's been away from them in person, he says, but he's not been away from them in heart. Paul's message to these young believers in these verses, I think, could be summed up in the words, I love you. My heart is still with you. I care. The language of love is all over this passage. Paul is trying with all his might to express in words the depths of his feeling for this congregation, just how much they do mean to him. He is speaking for himself. He wants these Christians to know that he loves them. And he's speaking on behalf of Silas. And he's speaking on behalf of Timothy. They too have great love for these brothers and sisters. They have been separated from the Thessalonians by necessity. But he wanted them to know that they were still in their minds and on their hearts and in their prayers. So for example, look back at chapter 2, verse 17. See the language of love. Chapter 2, verse 17 But since we were torn away from you, brothers, torn away from you, for a short time, in person, not in heart, 
we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Or look down at verse 20, at those words, for you are our glory and joy. Or look over at chapter 3, verse 8. Chapter 3, verse 8. For now we live, even in the midst of our affliction, even in the midst of our pain, even in the midst of our suffering, Paul says, we live if you are standing in the Lord. The hearts of Paul and Silas and Timothy were interwoven with the fate of this church. If this church had reason to rejoice, these men were going to be rejoicing with them. If there was a reason for this church to grieve, the hearts of these men would be grieving as well. Just as parents often celebrate and mourn according to the ups and downs of their children. So these men seemed to have such a love for this church that they were desperate for any news. How are they doing? Are they still persevering? Are they holding on to Christ? God forbid, has the tempter led them astray? That's why Timothy was sent to them and why Timothy's report was, was received so happily by them. The love that is modeled in this passage, I believe, is, it gives us an illustration of the kind of love that we ought to have for one another as Christians. I have three observations to make. I'm only going to do one tonight because I've taken up already too much time with the introduction. So one tonight and then two more next week. Here's the observation that I want us to see tonight. True love longs for fellowship. True love longs for fellowship. Paul's love for this church was evident in his desire to be with them again. He was not at peace being away from them. That doesn't mean he wasn't content in Christ. But he was not happy to be apart from them. Right? Uh, look again, verses 17 and 18. Chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again. Do you hear the desire for fellowship? Do you hear the desire to be with them? But Satan hindered us. We're not told how Satan hindered Paul's plan to go back to Thessalonica. It may have been through physical sickness may have been through Jewish hostility. There are some commentators who think that Jason, in whose house Paul and Silas had stayed when they were there, some think that the money that Jason paid to the authorities was a bond where he was basically saying um, he, the, the, the stipulations of the bond were these men cannot come back. And if you allow these men to come back, you forfeit your bond and you would be arrested. And so some think that it was for Jason's sake, in part, that they stayed away. Whatever the case, these three men had actively sought to come back and for whatever reasons, they had been prevented. And not just once. Paul says again and again. In verse 11 of chapter uh, 3, Paul prays publicly that God would bring them together again. He says, Now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. 
What would we say to the spouse who says, I truly love you, I just don't want to spend time with you? Would you call that true love? And isn't the nature of love just the opposite of that? Isn't it the nature of love to say, I long to be with you. I long for us to be together, happy and at peace, enjoying one another's company. Is that not the way God has loved us? All that God has done, including the giving of His very Son on the cross, was done so that He would bring us to Himself. The very purpose of this great salvation plan is to bring us into the very presence of God forever. Fellowship. This is the end and the aim of your salvation. Fellowship with God. To know God and to be known by God. That's what God's love has done. True love desires fellowship. The very purpose of redemption is to bring you back into the kind of relationship with God where you can walk with Him and talk with Him and know Him the way Adam and Eve did in the garden. It's heaven. It's paradise. Friends, if this is what God's love for us looks like, then should that not also be what our love for one another looks like? In fact, let's begin by thinking about our own love for God. Consider your love for God. Could it be that there are any of us in here who would say, I love God, and yet we have little desire in our hearts to actually spend time with Him? We say, I love God, but we seldom read His Word, and we spend very little time in prayer the idea of even spending an hour, two hours, three hours alone with God seems burdensome to you, tedious. Is that you? Jesus loves you so much that He has promised to never leave you nor forsake you. But could it be that we're guilty of forsaking Him? Could it be that whereas He desires to be with us, so often we don't desire to be with Him. He is there every moment to fill your heart with gladness and comfort through His Word. He is there every moment to receive your burdens and your anxieties through prayer, and yet you give Him no more time than maybe a few minutes here and there in your day. Is that us? Do we truly have a kind of love for God that desires fellowship with God? Maybe some in here have begun to wonder why your love for God seems to be growing cold. Could it be that you're just not spending time with Him? The longer you stay away from the warming fire of God's presence, the colder your heart will grow. In His presence there is fullness of joy. Psalm 16.11 You will never be able to live the Christian life or be a blessing to those around you if you're not first keeping the main thing the main thing. You must spend time with God. You must have a love for God that brings you into fellowship with Him day in and day out. Come into His presence with singing. Be still and know that He is God. Abide in His presence. 
hide His Word in your heart. Meditate on His character. Go into your closet and praise Him for His goodness to you. Commune with Him. Have a back and forth with God. If you love God, this should be some of the precious moments in your life this side of heaven. True love desires fellowship. Test yourself. Test your love for God. And then think about our love for one another in our church family. If we love one another, we will treasure our times together. And we will long for meaningful fellowship with one another. Yes, we should value our Sunday gatherings because of our love for God. But we should also value our Sunday gatherings because of our love for one another. Here is a day in which God has called us to express love to Him by loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we experience God's love as others love us in this place. And we participate in God's love to others as we love them in this place. As we hear the Scriptures read and as we participate in the corporate prayers being lifted up and as we are being loved by the the ones leading us in these things, we are experiencing the love of God. God is caring for your soul in that moment, and He does it through the people who care about you. You have a role to play. Here in our church family, you're not just to receive love, you're to give love. And you're to do so in our fellowship together, in our singing and praying, the way we participate in worship. But not just that, in our conversations, in our encounters with one another before services and after services. And that's just Sunday. You think about the rest of the week and you think about your interactions with cell phones and Facebook and however else we interact and relate with one another. Number one, are we interacting and relating with one another? Do we desire that fellowship? And then second, are we making it meaningful? Even as something as simple as the warm hug or a firm handshake can express a great deal of love. God cares for others through us, and God cares for us through others. We experience the love of God and express the love of God in our fellowship with one another. More than that, real love is sorrowful when we cannot be together. I wonder if you're sick on a Sunday morning and you you can't be with your brothers and sisters here for the Lord's Day meetings, how do you feel about that? Do you ache that you can't be here the way Paul ached to be with these brothers and sisters in Christ? Paul says that he had to leave these brothers and sisters in Christ in person, but he says, I didn't leave you in heart. Is that the way you feel? He did not cease to be concerned for them. We should not cease to be concerned for one another. Listen to some of the words of the hymn, Blessed Be the Tie That Binds. And as you listen, consider whether or not this is how you feel about our church. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. Listen to this. We share each other's woes. Our mutual burdens bear. And often for each other flows the sympathizing tear. Is that true of us? 
Are we bearing each other's burdens? Are we weeping with those who weep? When we asunder part and we're torn apart, it gives us inward pain, but we shall still be joined in heart and hope to meet again. Is that exactly what we see expressed in the Apostle Paul? Expressed in that hymn, that there's a sense of aching when we're apart and we long to be back together again. Is that you? Can you resonate with that? Does your heart have that kind of love for the other people in this church body? And I don't mean just some of the people in the church body. Think about all of our members. Our membership role now has 67 members on it. Think about that role of 67 people. There's some names on there of people that, to be honest, you, you would say you love them, but you don't really know them. Don't really, haven't really sympathized with them in anything. You don't even know what's going on in their lives. What can we do about that? We should be intentional about getting to know one another. Intentional about asking how each other is doing. Intentional about praying through the prayer calendar or however you want to do it, but finding some way to, to intercede for all of your brothers and sisters in Christ in this place. We should long to be involved in each other's lives. True Christian love desires meaningful, happy fellowship with those we love. Do we love one another? Let us pray that God will deepen our love for one another and cause it to abound. Let's pray.